Welcome to the Bravest Kind Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Schaefer, and I am a firefighter and EMT in the Seattle area. I'm excited you're on this journey with me, and I look forward to sharing stories of brave and vulnerable individuals, as it is my sincere belief that by doing so, it gives us the ability to unlock bravery within ourselves. This is episode 25 of The Bravest Kind, and my guest today is Susan Holt. Susan is a health and physical education teacher at Hedrick Middle School in Medford, Oregon. She is also the mother of two daughters, Grace and Jill Rosie. Sadly, Grace took her own life on January 3rd, 2016 at the age of 15. Susan and I discussed the importance of normalizing mental health issues and how, despite people appearing cheerful on the outside, there can still be hurt and pain on the inside. Susan is open in her conversation and strives to help others so they don't have to feel the pain of losing a loved one due to suicide. She also talks about her work as an educator, how she connects with her students and implores them to write in a journal and seek professional help if needed. Susan delivers a powerful message about hope and perseverance. After losing Grace, Susan wanted to honor her daughter and leave a legacy of something positive for kids. She has done that by organizing an annual 5K memorial run called Run With Grace and also creating the Grace and Kindness Scholarship Fund, which provides opportunities for children to experience enrichment programs and camps. Scholarships are awarded based on two criteria. The youth demonstrates kindness and has a financial need. A quick reminder before we start today's show. If you have not yet done so, please rate and subscribe to The Bravest Kind on either Apple or Spotify podcasts and share the show with others. Also, if you enjoy this episode, post and tag The Bravest Kind on social media. Find me, Ryan Schaefer, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Lastly, the topic of suicide is discussed in this episode and may not be appropriate for young children. If you or anyone you know needs help, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Okay, well, Susan, thank you so much for joining me today on the Bravest Kind podcast. And no doubt the subject matter here is probably amongst the heaviest that I have touched upon in one of my episodes, but I think it is also very important. So first and foremost, I just want to say thank you for your courage and bravery and vulnerability and your willingness to talk about this subject matter that we're about to dive into. You're welcome. So our listeners know you lost your teenage daughter, Grace, to suicide. Uh, How many years ago was that? Uh, It's been five and a half years. Been five and a half years. Okay. And how old was she at the time? She was 15. 15. Okay. So she'd be 20 now. Um, Just so I know and our listeners know, I would love to learn about Grace. Can you tell me all about her and her interests and hobbies and passions and just what kind of person she was? Oh, I would love to tell you. Um, it, it never uh, gets old talking about Grace. And so I love when people ask about her. Um, she was such a joy to have as a daughter, just um, beautiful inside and out and uh just so kind. And that is definitely a theme through my nonprofit run with grace. She, uh, loved animals and loved to rescue animals. Uh, we had any farm animal, you know, a little bird that she could save. We fosters fostered seven litters of kitties. Her dream was to volunteer and she was too young, but to volunteer at sanctuary one, which is a rescue, um, for farm animals that's way out in the country and they have pigs and sheep and horses. And so they take in neglected, abandoned animals. And so that's kind of where her heart um, was. And she was also the kind of kid that would uh, look for kids that maybe others would think are misfits and try to make them feel good. Um, She just wanted everybody to be happy she uh, always had a smile on her face. And that's what I heard after she died. I would just hear that over and over. She always had a smile on her face. She always complimented people. She was always looking out for people. And she was kind of a quiet leader. She wasn't super outspoken, but um, kind of led by example and just kindness throughout her. 
So she sounds obviously like a very special individual, and we're going to dive into a few things that you mentioned right there. Uh, one, kindness seems to really be a, a theme about grace, and I know you briefly mentioned your nonprofit that you started up, and we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. And again, grace and kindness um, being themes, and my podcast is called The Bravest Kind, so bravery and kindness are Uh, topics that I like to hone in on and are very near and dear to my heart. Also for our listeners, so they're knowing when you're talking about out in the country and everything else, uh, your family is based in Southern Oregon in Medford. I don't know if you live right in Medford or if you live on the outskirts, but that is my hometown where I grew up and my parents are still there and I have two siblings there. And in fact, you taught two of my nieces. You are a middle school PE teacher, correct? Yes, health and PE. Health and PE. So yes, I just want to, when you're uh, talking about some of that, uh, just so our listeners know where you are located at. Now, reading a little bit, Susan, on your website uh, for this organization that you started up in Grace's memory, and in watching a video, you said that there were some conversations Grace had with you about feeling sad and not feeling like herself prior to taking her life. Was there a moment or certain incidents that led to these feelings for her that you know of, or was this just kind of a gradual process and uh, mental health, something that she dealt with? You know, um, I, I see, uh, I look back of course all the time and she was such a happy kid and such a happy, um, you know, middle schooler. And then, uh, um, five months, just five months before she took her life, she said something uh, really scary to me. Uh, and I, you know, I teach health and I have a degree in health. And so I teach about mental health. And she said, my, she wrote it. Actually, she, she wrote a little note to me. She couldn't say the words. Um, and she said, my life is wonderful. I don't understand why I feel so sad. Hmm. And She, and then she followed up with sometimes I don't know if I want to live and it's, it scared me to death. And I, I know, you know, I, I have dealt with, um, depression, um, never suicidal, um, but postpartum depression. And after that, just some depression, my sister does as well. And my dad does, and this has all come to light, you know, later on, I think, um, a lot of us struggle without, wanting to go there, being ready to go there, or, you know, the stigma, like for my dad, he, I think struggled all his life. And then, um, you know, didn't open up about it until gosh, almost his seventies. And it's so sad that he had to struggle with that, not understanding what was happening, but so great. I would say grace without a doubt had a chemical imbalance and just waiting for the day that people will look um, at mental illness and, and like depression as a physical illness, which it is, she had a true chemical imbalance. And so she couldn't will herself to be happy. She could, and I think it's very scary. She was 15 and she was such a pleaser and, and so concerned about every, everybody that she kept this to herself. And I don't think she could say the words so she would write. And that's one of the reasons I'm a big proponent of journaling. I have all my students journal. I think a lot of kids can write about their feelings where maybe they can't voice them. So, so that five months before was my first big, now I look back, you know, my big red flag. And here's the thing about that day that was really confusing Um I didn't see a lot of signs. Now looking back, there are subtle signs, which I can talk about. But that day, um, five months before, it was August 9th, um, 2015. But we had gone to the Taylor Swift concert, you know, and my girls were so excited. We took took their two best friends, um, my good friend and I, we took our daughters. And um, we were driving back from Seattle. And she... Uh, she got in trouble for something and it's not a big deal, but I, I was, I took her phone away. That was the punishment. And so she did not get her phone that night. And so that we got home on the night of August 9th. And that's when she wrote that note. Now she was not a manipulative kid, but in my mind, I thought this doesn't fit with her. And, and then, you know, 
she didn't have her phone. And so part of me thought, is there any chance she's being manipulative or she's so upset about her phone that she's trying to find a way to get it back? Like I said, that wasn't the kind of kid she was, but it just made it a little more complicated to understand. So um, I took it very serious, you know, and she did go to counseling right away. I got her to a counselor. Counselor never thought she was suicidal and did, um, you know, would do the risk assessments often. And she was never in the high risk. She was always low risk. So, so that going back to your question, that was my first big um, indicator that there was a real problem. And then after that, you know, she was going to counseling. I was talking to her regularly and I I was concerned about her being depressed. Um, I was concerned about her adjusting to high school, uh, middle school, you know, going back to elementary school. She was so happy. She was, you know, school president in sixth grade. And then she was in leadership in middle school. She was in sports, good friends, good grades. High school was a little bit tougher, but it just seemed like she wasn't finding her groove there. She didn't hate it. She never said, I don't want to go to school, but, um, I think the cruelness in the world, and and then also you see more of that in high school, really was hard on her. She's very sensitive to those kind of things and didn't understand it. And so it seemed she she got an injury. She couldn't do her sports that she loved to do. Her best friend was at a different school and she wasn't as involved in things as she had been. So there were these little signs, but, but nothing huge. Let me ask you this about her writing this on that night. You talk about returning from the Taylor Swift concert. Mm-hmm. It was August 9th. What would it have been? 2016? 2015. 2015. Did she write that with the intent to share to you? Did she write this on a note and then hand it to you? Or was she journaling and you happened to read it? How was that message seen by you? No, that night she was in her room and she just... She just came out and handed it to me and went back to her home. Okay. I think, I think she was very concerned. I think she was scared and confused about her feelings and didn't understand them. And I think she was very concerned about me and, and, and scaring me and worrying me. And that's just the kind of kid she was. She kept all this in her head. Yeah. Like, as you said, a pleaser, she yeah. wanted to make sure everybody else was okay. Putting everybody else's well-being. Yes. And didn't want to worry you before her own. And of course, like you said, I'm sure that time in life, we can all go back and think about that period in life, which is a struggle for most of us in the best of times with those transitions and middle school to high school and and, and changing to friends and becoming interested in the opposite sex and, mm-hmm. you know, partying and, and all this stuff that just goes on and it's so hard to navigate. And then, yeah, I can, I can only imagine she probably felt just probably so alone at that point in time. I'm curious, Susan, one thing you said and you about your own students now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, you, you, you teach health and physical education. Has that changed how you teach? And you just said you have your kids journal. Is that something that you've always had your students do? Or has that been something since Grace's passing? I have always had students journal. Uh, you have. And um, to answer your other question, it absolutely has affected how I teach and how I look at kids. And um, I focus, I'm, I focus on the students. I, of course, I focus on curriculum as well, but I really look at the student and uh, their well-being. And you know, um, in education, data and test scores, testing, testing, and reading and math, and all the things that are focused on they're all important but you you have to have the students in a good place and healthy not just physically but mentally or those things don't matter and i think that gets overlooked quite a bit and through journal writing i i it's astounding how many students i have that are dealing with mental illness that are dealing with you know and stress and anxiety a lot of kids are self harming you know they're cutting um just, it's so concerning. It's so sad. And so I 
really focus on that. And sometimes I feel, and I'm not equipped to be a counselor. I don't have, you know, the um, education for that, but I feel like sometimes I'm a little more in that role than actually a teacher. And I'm okay with that because it's so important. Um, In PE, it's harder to, you know, connect with students at that level, but I am in, you know, in the classroom more than I am in the gym. And so that's where I really am able to make these connections. And then, and when I do find out about these kids, I just try to find the resources to get them help. And boy, if there's one thing, if I had a way of changing things in education, it would be get school counselors in the schools. You know, they're, most schools have maybe one counselor or halftime counselor, but we are so short in that area. And it's, uh, it's a real problem. I can't get kids into our counselor because she is so booked up and so backed up. So, and then if you go out in the community, they're, they're so in demand that I've had so many uh, parents tell me they can't get into a counselor. So it's a real problem. It, it, it is. It is. And I, I see that in my line of work as a firefighter, first responder, uh, the amount of people that deal with mental health issues. I'm on our peer support team, uh, so I've received a little bit of additional training. Uh, so I'm somebody that people can come to in confidentiality and talk and the same. Well, we've had problems getting people to counselors just purely because of not enough supply. Mm-hmm. Right, just not 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 enough counselors available uh, to to fill all the need, and so it 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 absolutely is a uh, it's a tragedy and it's a problem and it's something that needs to be addressed. How long have you been in education for, Susan? This is my thirtieth year. Thirtieth <laughs> year. Okay. Well, no, I, I I wonder. You talked about the fact that there just simply aren't enough counselors and enough resources for students and all of the self-harm and anxiety and depression. Have you seen a noticeable uptick? Have you seen a change in that throughout your 30 years of teaching? Or, or, or does that seem to be a bigger problem now than it was for students 20, 25 years ago, earlier in your career? I do think it's a, a more of a problem now. And there is the, um, back when I started teaching, I don't think it was talked about so much and, and the stigma of mental illness um, and, and, and even depression was there even more than now, which is uh, something that I, I, boy, and that's another thing that um, if I could change, I would work on getting rid of that stigma um, so that people are comfortable talking about it and it's not a shameful thing. Um, But I do see more of it. And I'm sure part of that is people not opening up, but I do think there's more, more pressure on kids. Um, Social media is just brutal, just so tough on kids. And then there's the FOMO, the fear of missing out. And, um, and, and, and of course, COVID in the last year and a half was so tough on kids. So I do see a lot more uh, issues with kids and mental health for sure. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about a little bit right at the top, but again, here, the title of my podcast, Being the Bravest Kind. And as I said, I named it that because I wanted to highlight individuals demonstrating bravery and kindness in their everyday lives. And when watching a video that you posted on the Run With Grace website, which we'll talk about that nonprofit that you set up here in a little bit, but kindness seems to really be at the heart of your message, both due to what kind of a person Grace was and also the importance of us being kind to one another. Talk to me about the importance of spreading grace and kindness and the power of our actions. Because Grace was so kind, it was just natural to go with that uh, theme. And I felt like it took a while after she died, after she took her life, um, to figure out what I wanted to do. But I really felt like I needed to do something that it couldn't just be (laughs) that she was remembered as a girl that took her life. But I wanted, number one, her to be remembered as the amazing little human being that she was. Um, and then I wanted to do something positive, to have something p- positive come out of the most horrific tragedy. Uh, and so I just, it, it, it wasn't hard to come up with um, grace and kindness because it's just so fitting for her. And then I, you know, I couldn't have done this without amazing friends and family that jumped in to 
to help make what is happening happen, which is um, our nonprofit. And then also the run that we have, uh, the annual run, which um, all sponsors and, you know, money is raised, go to the nonprofit. And then we are able to fund kids to go to uh, camps, enrichment programs, take karate lessons, singing lessons, whatever it is that they love to do that they can't do because of um, finances, we are able to help them. And, and the only thing is, the only criteria is they be a kind person <laughs> and have a financial need. And so it feels good to be able to do that. And I know Grace would love it. Um, and, you know, Grace was... I think back to all the times that she would say something like, you know, we would be driving and maybe there was a homeless person or, you know, or somebody that was taking too long to cross the street, or maybe they were, you know, a slow driver. It doesn't really matter if there was a situation like that mm -hmm. where somebody might criticize, she'd say, mom, you don't, you have no idea what's going on with them. You know, she, she had that way of just, um, she had a lot of grace in her heart <laughs> and forgiveness and understanding and saw good in people and just didn't judge, you know, she could have cared less about popularity. She just uh, was able to find good in people and see people in a different way that most people aren't able to see. And so I try to carry that with me in my life and I am not as good as she was, but I still, you know, I can always, work harder at being uh, as forgiving, kind, and, and carry that grace with me in my life because she, she, she had it beyond her years. It's kind of, or sometimes you see little, you know, little kids, they're born so, so perfect. And so um, they don't have that judgmental, no. They just don't, you know, they see people as people and it's, um, it's a trained, it's, it's a learned behavior. Yeah. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not born with that. No, right. no. And you see that in little kids and then people get kind of jaded, but Grace sort of carried, she kind of, that stayed with her. And, uh, you know, and I'm always, I'm always cautious when I say these things about her because I think people, you know, when somebody dies, you're not going to talk about the negative things, but these things are all true. And people that, knew her or, or heard of her know all these things to be true. And it, it's pretty amazing. And she wasn't perfect. She was extremely uh, <laughs> messy and a little bit irresponsible and she did her <laughs> chores and, you know, and those things, but the kindness yeah. is just the way it was just her heart. Yeah. It, it sounds like just a, a, an extremely compassionate person and really wise beyond her years Absolutely. to have that kind of recognition. And that's so I, interviewed a woman uh, on on this podcast a few episodes ago named Katie Granger, and she is a sepsis survivor, and she had both of her legs amputated and multiple fingers. And what was interesting, she talked about that you were just sharing the story about Grace saying you don't know what's going on with that person. And uh, Katie shared a story about how she has now taken that approach and really gives people a lot of grace and empathy because you know, she goes, with her, you can see on the outside, uh, you know, this disability that she now has due to these amputations. But she goes, there's so many other people that are so much worse off on the inside mm -hmm. and that have injuries that we can't see. Yes. And it's a little bit you talked about with grace and depression. Yes. It is a physical, it's a physical disease, you know, it's, it's, and, um, and, 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 and a real thing and a and chemical imbalance. And so, yeah, I think that's just a message that, all of us can take to heart regardless of age. Yes, that is. Sure. And that's so true. You can't, and that's the tricky thing about mental illness and depression. You can't see it, you know, and that's mm -hmm. what makes it confusing and very scary for kids because they don't have the life experience to know. Yeah, that's, that's just it. It's so, exactly. I think that all the time with someone like Grace or somebody young that takes their life, yeah, it's, it's hard to be able to conceptualize and, and, and to know how much life is still ahead and to know that things will change and that there's these ebbs and flows. So it, um, yeah, I think that's just so hard to conceptualize for anybody at that age. Mm-hmm. Now was a run Grace. She was a runner as well, right? Was um, she yes, she she was. She, um, she, she <laughs> I coached track and cross country, and those mm -hmm. are my passions. Um, and so uh, Grace 
she wasn't competitive. I'm pretty fiercely competitive. It always drove me nuts because <laughs> she was almost too nice to be competitive, but she was a good runner and um, she enjoyed it. She enjoyed, you know, the team aspect and um, her sophomore year, she, or actually the end of her freshman year, she ended up with an injury that she just never quite, we could never quite nail what it was. And so she wasn't able to do that, but um, the run seemed like a great fit for yeah, that's what I was going to yeah. ask, right? So this nonprofit you started, as you said, it's a a, a run, and yeah. it's a 5K run, mm-hmm. run with grace. And it's held, I was looking on your website, is it typically in the spring? Is April the time of year that you typically yeah, we, hold that event? We used to have it uh, in January. She died on January 3rd, and um, January is pretty bleak, and I, I wanted something yeah. positive to happen in January. But it got a little tricky, so we've moved it to uh, April. And last year it was on her birthday, April 18th, which was awesome. Oh, wow. This year it'll be April 16th, and it's at the Rogue Valley Country Club. We had it the first uh, the first four years at the elementary school where my girls went and it's a country school, Griffin Creek. And it was really fun to have it there on the country roads. And um, it, we just outgrew it. We've had up to almost 800 runners. So it's just too big, you know, to, to continue to have out there. So we are at Rogue Valley country club here in Medford and they've been gracious enough to let us actually use the golf course, which is pretty cool it's beautiful and um it has a you know it, it it is a little bit different environment but it still has you know a, a wonderful feel of uh it's positive and i needed that it was really tough the first year to even see it, it's so hard to explain when you when you lose a child there's that guilt of feeling happy um mm. laughing smiling and and they're not there and it's taken me a long time <laughs> to realize she would want, this is all the stuff that she would want. She, she would want people to be happy. And so now it's just turned into a celebration of her life, a celebration of kindness, of doing good, of doing the right thing and raising money. And we really raise all of our money from our sponsors. We have over 30 sponsors. And then the event itself is a way to get people together um, but most of the money is from donations and definitely sponsors. And so we're just, I'm so grateful for those sponsors. They're on our website. You know, we have a website in it. And that is, and that is simply runwithgrace.org. Yes. Correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. And for people, if somebody living elsewhere, not in Southern Oregon, wanted to donate, are they able to do that? If yes. somebody just wanted to mm-hmm. give a donation, that's all that can all be done through the website? Yes. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And so with the nonprofit, uh, originally, like I said, the, that first year, I just so wanted people to remember her in almost an obsession. I think it's pretty common when you lose somebody you love, you just don't want them forgotten. And then it just kept growing and expanding and evolving. And then of course the scholarship was my passion um, and to help other kids. And now we've added a third component and it's the education piece. Um, And Andrea Childreth, who is an expert in mental health and a friend of mine has, uh, she has, uh, uh, the Lemonade Project, and she um, also started Champions of Change, which we are partnering with. And as teenagers, uh, middle school and a lot of high school, get teenagers teenagers together to talk about mental illness and issues around that in their lives, and also at school, and how they what what they believe can help, and just get the conversation going so it um, can lose. You know, we can help get rid of that stigma around it, but also have a safe place for them to talk about it. And it is pretty amazing, the stuff you hear. And we try, you know, um, like Andre and I will be there. Um, and Lisa Hutchins also is our event uh, coordinator. Um, but we do not take over. We're there, but the kids lead it. And that's the way we want it to be. We want them, this to be their discussion and, and sort of led by them. It's pretty powerful. And I think, you know, with COVID, it, it set us back a little bit with meeting, but we plan on picking that up. And um, so pretty excited about that as well. Yeah, no, very much so. Sounds like all kinds of, all kinds of good and reaching just so many kids that potentially could be dealing with this. And so other families don't, 
need to go through what obviously your family has. One thing I want to talk about, you mentioned when you were discussing the run and um, that it's a really fun time and some of the guilt that you felt, especially early on, if you did have moments of happiness or laughing. That was one thing I wanted to touch upon. Uh, Obviously, you and your husband have suffered the worst loss imaginable for any parent. How have the two of you had the strength to overcome such a loss and how has it impacted your marriage? Uh, we Well, we're no longer married. You're no longer, were you prior to this? Yeah, yes. Okay, and was this a big driving force of the separation? Um, it was a part of it and um, it's, I've read that the statistics are pretty unbelievable. Um, yeah. It's pretty rare for a couple to stay together through the loss of a child. Um, and I, I can see why. Um, and it's affected us. It's, it's affected our family sure. in ways that I, I, I are hard to understand. Um, you know, and I have another amazing daughter, um, Jill. Rusty. Yes, I was, yeah. was going to ask you about her too. Yeah. She's, she's, she's at Oregon state now. Yeah. I mean, all of that, I guess I, I, I'm just curious on the whole dynamic of that because she was, is, uh, Jill Rosie younger or older than Grace? Um, she's two years younger. She was 13, uh, when Grace died okay. and they were, you know, of course, basically best friends. They played together every day. They had, they shared friends and, um, you know, she's the last person she'd see when she went to bed and first person in the morning. And so, and my daughter had no idea that this, this thing could happen. None of us did. Did Jill Rosie mention anything about Grace sharing anything with her that potentially you or your ex-husband were unaware of at the time? Nothing. 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 And that, you know, and that's a part of my message when I speak about our, what has happened is that you, it, um, somebody that's suffering the way Grace suffered, it, it doesn't always fit in a box. You know, a lot of times you'll read signs of some, um, somebody that is contemplating suicide and there are these definite, you know, change in eating, change in sleeping. They talk about it. They give away, you know, prized possessions. Um Grace didn't have those, I guess you could say somewhat typical signs. Hers were subtle and they were very sporadic. So you would see her very happy and laughing and having fun. And then, you know, looking back, I do remember times where she she, um, was more withdrawn and in her room more often, but again, she was 15 and a lot of kids and, you know, I've done a lot of counseling because I, it's hard not to think about those subtle signs. And a lot of kids are in the room a lot. A lot of kids, you know, aren't as involved in the activities that maybe they once loved. Um, so she had subtle signs and, uh, of course I wish I would have taken them more serious. Um, I, I, you know, I knew she was depressed. I did not know she could take her life. Uh, and I, I do wonder, you know, the first year, um, I did not call it suicide. I, I just couldn't. I really, truly thought of it as an accident and that she couldn't think straight and she needed us to know how she was feeling and couldn't say the words. And, you know, it's possible, it's possible that that's, that was the case. She just couldn't talk about it, which is just, it's so sad that kids feel like they can't talk about it. So I want to to have this conversation. I want kids to have this conversation so they feel like they can talk about it. And then they need to have somebody they can talk to. And if it's not somebody at home, like a parent, maybe it's a coach, maybe it's a teacher, you know, it's, but they have to feel like there's somebody they can talk to, somebody that will know what to do to get them help. With any tragedy, Susan, I think it's always really powerful to see people step up and wanting to help. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of that. Not only have you made it your mission, sounds like not only to honor and remember Grace and and honor her, but also all the work that you're doing with these students, talk about partnering with these other organizations. What has this ordeal taught you about the power of the human spirit? Oh my gosh. Um, I have seen... The, I have seen the most amazing side of people. I, it's hard to even put in words how very, you know, family and close friends, but also people that I didn't even know how they came to help us. And 
it felt unsurvivable. It really did. It felt like you just, it felt like your heart's going to stop beating. Uh, I, I, I believe, I believe it. I, yeah. It's unimaginable. It, it is. It to be true. It, it's, um, it's, it's so horrific. It's, it's just hard to describe and it still makes me kind of feel sick. Like, like I'll, I feel like I could get sick just talking about it. Um, and you feel like you're just, you're not going to wake up or, you know, your heart's just going to stop beating. Like you can't go on. But, you know, I felt like I had my people, my little tribe of people, and it wasn't little, it was big. And they just surrounded us with so much love and so much support. And I don't know what I would have done without that. Uh, I, you know, we desperately needed that to, to get through all three of us. And we had it. We're lucky. I, I don't know how people that don't have that would survive. Um, people stopped their lives for us. And people reached out that didn't even know us. We, we just couldn't go back to our home after that, um, you know, where she took her life. And so we never, we, we never slept in our house again. We left and people just rallied around us. They found us a place to go. You know, they brought us food. They brought us support and just surrounded us with love and, you know, and made it so that we could continue to live. And I remember at the one year, around the one year mark thinking, it suddenly dawned on me that there had been not a single day that had gone by that I just didn't cry and grieve her so deeply. And I thought, I don't, you know, can you ever really live? And, and then somehow I was able, around one year, I started to to, um, ha- I don't think I'll ever heal, but have enough healing. And I did enough work that I could start to focus on positives and really and focused on the nonprofit and focus on the kids that need help. And so it, it helped kind of pull me out of that place. I would, that deep grief that you feel like you could drown in it um, anyways. And so that was when I was able to kind of look farther into the future and see a future where maybe I could help people. Mm-hmm. You know, Kind of getting off topic here a little bit, but as you're talking, I'm wondering, you mentioned that the date that Grace took her life was January 3rd. Yes. Correct. And her birthday is April 18th. Yes. Was it? Are there things that not only, uh, not only for yourself, but as far as uh, people in your circle, uh, friends and loved ones, sure how best to ask this, but just what do you, what helps as far as support and especially on those, those dates that really stand out. And I I ask this because I have a really, one of my best friends, uh, he and his wife lost their uh, son to a respiratory illness uh, when he was an infant. And this has been almost seven years ago now. And so I always try to, you know, reach out on those two, I mean, I see him regularly anyway, but I try to make the contact with him and make sure that I'm thinking about he and his family on, on the date that his son died, as well as on uh, the date of his son's birthday. Mm-hmm. Like how can others best support somebody in your position? Is it simply just recognizing and continuing to talk about it and, and not shy away from it? I, sometimes I don't always know if what I'm doing is, is the best thing. I think doing something is better than nothing. And people are afraid to bring it up or they're afraid to say, yeah. and I love hearing her name. I love talking about her. Um, and I love hearing stories about her, maybe something I didn't know. Mm. Um, once in a while I'll get, a. Uh, it, it becomes less frequent as time goes on. Um, and that's another thing for somebody that has had a loss like this. It's you, you learn to survive better, but also it's tough when you think other people are forgetting. So it sure means a lot when people will reach out and just, you know, share a thought or a memory. And I've had some kids that will, um, they've sent me a card or will um, message me or, or tell me a little memory. And they just, uh, I just hang on to those. And Grace loved to, to wear dresses and skirts and wear cowboy boots. <laughs> and you know, I I guess it's kind of a cool look, but maybe not. I thought it looked great, but I I had a just a girl that just wrote a simple. You know, Grace looked so beautiful and kind of had her own style, and she taught me that it's okay to wear a dress when other awesome. kids aren't wearing dresses. And I just I mean, it just made me smile, or you know, just little 
silly memories and little things to laugh about and smile about. I just, you know, I, I just love to hear that. And so, you know, when people ask me about her, ask questions, say her name, share something, it, it does mean a lot. Susan, what advice do you have for parents or anybody really for that matter who has a, a child or loved one struggling with depression or other mental health challenges? Uh, I would say the things that I wish I had done differently would be to listen a lot more than talk because I wanted to fix. And I think that as parents, that's what we think we're supposed to do is fix things, but sometimes just listening and opening, opening it up to, you know, kids feeling comfortable talking I wish I would have done more of that, but I constantly was trying to fix situations like let's find something for you to get involved in, whether it's drama or music, sports weren't working out or, you know, um, constantly, you know, she was kind of stressed about grades. So I'm trying to figure out how to, to make everything better instead of just listening. I wish I would have slowed down and listened more than just try to fix and talk, talk, talk. Yeah, that's good advice. I think that's sometimes human nature or maybe some of us just personalities. I know, I mean, on a much different scale, but yeah, my wife tells me that a lot too. She'll come to me with some problem. I'll be trying to give advice or solutions. Like, I don't need you to coach me through it. I just, just I just need you to listen yeah. <laughs> to what I'm going and then through. Also, okay. I mean, I would not hesitate to get a counselor. I think counselors can do amazing things to help. Um, counseling is huge. You know, we did have a counselor. I don't know if it was a great fit. Um, and um, also, I, the, the stuff with social media is a tough one because I don't know if we can avoid it and if kids can avoid it. Um, but if we can help them learn how to kind of manage it, and that is a big one. I think it's going to continue to be a big topic and a big challenge, but that's another one. Um and then again, you know, after Grace died, I did find some writing, some writings that were a little bit dark. I mean, nothing that would have made me think that she might take her life, but um, journaling, you know, is for, in our case was, um, her writing was insightful for sure. What brings you happiness now? Uh, my daughter, Jill Rosie, my daughter, that's 19. She's an amazing kid. Um, we're young adult and she's, she's resilient. Humans are so much more resilient, you know, and the fact that she is, has moved on, not moved on, but, um, has a life she's doing amazing. She's going to carry with this forever, her forever. But I think I'm hoping, you know, she's not a talker. She, she, um, I'm a talker. I got to talk through things but she has never wanted to talk about it. Um, it's just too painful. And that's kind of her way. I'm hoping that, you know, as she matures and her degree is psychology, I'm hoping that she can maybe work through some of this as she gets older. Um, but she brings me joy, of course. And, um, you know, do, doing the work that I'm doing with the, uh, our nonprofit brings me joy and working with kids brings me joy. So I have a life, which I didn't know if I would ever have a life that, a quality life, you know, that seemed like it was worth living, but I really do. And I, another thing that is helpful, it helps me is um, I get so many people contacting me because they know somebody that has lost a child to suicide, or they know somebody that it's usually a friend that um, will contact me and say, can you talk to this person um, or just listen? They feel so alone. And that's exactly what I need. I felt like there's just no way anybody in the world could be in this situation with this. I thought it had to be like somebody was on drugs or somebody that was, you know, had schizophrenia or the, the signs were so obvious. So I just thought there is no way there is anybody in the world that could have gone through something like this with a child and, and so young as well and survived it. And so I was, I was searching for that. I never quite found like a mentor or somebody to talk to um, maybe a year after I found um, a support group that's it's worldwide Alliance of Hope. And so I would get on there and I did connect with some people, but um, I try to be that for people that adult uh, parents of, maybe they've lost a child or they're struggling with mental illness. And so that actually 
sort of selfishly helps me. And then I hope that I'm helping them as well, but it, it does help me as well. So is that a little bit cathartic for you? I mean, yes. is it, and, and even right now, yeah, is, is it help to talk about? I know you said that you always, it helps to have people bring up Grace and her memory. You were, you were sharing about that and even, you know, people from her past, yeah, you, you gave that cute story of uh, somebody about, uh, you know, how she would dress and the skirt. Yeah. Is it, is it, does that help with the healing and, and the memory? It and does, the, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely helps. Um, yeah. Another, uh, just cause it just popped in my head. Another little memory was, yeah. um, they must've been learning her and her friend Parker were learning about the Oregon trail. <laughs> and so they hooked up our dog <laughs> to the wagon, made a little harness put all this food and <laughs> they're going to survive out in the wilderness. Our poor dog, this black lab is just like going through the woods and they would do that every day. They were just so cute. And he brought that up to me and just silly little things. And, you know, thank goodness mm-hmm. we have videos now. Cause I have so many videos of her working with her horse and training the dog. She wanted to, dogs to do all these little agility things that they didn't want to do. And, just, um, you know, dancing and creating things. And so I, I just cherish those memories and they mean the world to me. Yeah. Susan, you have to do something that you are scared to do. What is your process of quieting that fear and proceeding anyways? Um, the fear of, um, in general, not even it just yeah. How do you how do you overcome feelings of insecurity, feelings of uh, being scared of being alone? How do you, how do you how do you carry on and fight through that? Um, well, it's taken. It didn't just happen overnight. Um, you know, a, a big fear of mine was what did I do wrong? <laughs> Regrets and looking back, and so I have had to learn how to, you know, survive that. Um, that's a tough one. I still struggle with it. I probably always will. You know, there's a lot of things I wish I would have done differently, but I have, I've helped myself. A lot of people say you're so strong, (laughs) but I don't think it's strong as much as I, um, have figured I I needed to survive for my other daughter. So I looked for help in any way I could get it, whether it was counseling support groups. And then I found this other, this worldwide group. And I met people that I had never, um, you know, I'd only met over the internet and, and this site. And we met in Montana for a, a retreat. And so I, I don't know that I'm strong as much as that. I, I just was willing to do whatever it took to get through this and survive this. Um, you know, my, I have to look back and remind myself that I did the best I could with what I knew at the time. It's taken a long time to be able to say that and believe it, but I would have done anything to save her. I would have done anything to keep her alive. And so, so I have to believe that I did the best I could with what I knew at that time. Um, So I just keep working at myself and doing what I can to help others and lead by example. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not as good at it as Grace was, and I have a long ways to go, but I hope to just keep working at it. What does being brave mean to Susan Holt? Kind of living. <laughs> I know that sounds sort of weird, yeah. but. It doesn't. That actually makes a lot of sense, especially having gone through what you've gone through. Living and living a full life, because there were a lot of times I didn't feel like I deserved it. Um, almost felt like a betrayal. And so. And now I do feel like I've, I, I remember thinking I, and asking people over and over, do you feel joy? Cause I didn't think I could feel joy. Like, do you feel yeah. true happiness? People that had lost kids. I just, I was almost obsessed with wanted answers and I wanted to see, can I live like truly live again? Um, and you know, I, I did, I found people that helped me to see that, that I could. And so I just continue to try to, to really, truly live and live a meaningful life. Well, Susan, is there anything else on your end before we wrap this up that you would like to add? I I know I just really thank you for joining me and talking about this subject. And as I said at the top, it's a heavy subject to talk about, but it's a highly important 
one as well. And I know it sounds like you've made it your mission, not only to honor the memory of your daughter, but to to really help others so that other families don't go through uh, a similar uh, situation as to what you dealt with. Anything out there for our listeners as far as support, advice, message uh, that you would like to leave people with? Um, Yes. Um, Well, kindness matters. It really, truly does. Um, You do not know unless you're in somebody's shoes what they're walking through. Nobody knew with grace. Nobody, not even, I didn't know. Her best friend didn't know, had no idea. Um, So, you know, you just don't know what somebody's going through. Um, So your actions, whether they're positive or negative, affect people. And there is no no shame in talking about your feelings and um, talking about mental illness, seeing a counselor. um, And also just, I hope people continue to find education and counseling for, for kids in particular, and there's always hope, always hope. But when somebody's in it, they can't see that. They can't see out of that tunnel, but there's always hope. That's a great message right there. And as a reminder, the website, the organization that you set up uh, is runwithgrace.org. And it's an annual 5K race that takes place in Medford. But for anybody listening that wants to support the organization and you set up scholarships to help kids demonstrating kindness and must be in some financial need for enrichment programs and summer camps, they could still go to that website and donate. That's right. Okay. Okay. And the race is April 16th. It looks like I need to make a return visit to Medford on April 16th and participate in the run here in 2022. That would be awesome. And oh my gosh, I love those nieces of yours and I have seen them there. Yes, that is so cool. Yeah. Susan and I were talking before we actually started recording, but uh, yes, your story came about from my older sister, Shannon. Uh, It was actually, I was in Medford over summer and she was telling me, she's like, you know, Ryan, there's this teacher at Hedrick told me about Grace and and the, um, the 5K, the benefit that you set up and just what a wonderful person you were and how much my two nieces, Drew and Tyler, uh, who are now at South Medford, how much they loved you and loved having you as a teacher. So uh, you're obviously connecting uh, with the youth there in in Medford on many levels, uh, not just by sharing and normalizing about mental health, but uh, just by simply, I think, being a wonderful teacher. And we need more people like that in those positions. So thank you for all that you're doing. I really appreciate your willingness to share this story with me because I know it's not easy, I'm sure, to talk about. Thank you for doing so. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for listening. That's a wrap on episode 25 with Susan Holt. Thanks again to Susan for joining me on The Bravest Kind and allowing us to learn more about her daughter, Grace. I appreciate Susan's willingness to share a painful story and spread awareness about the importance of mental health. To learn more about the Grace and Kindness Scholarship Fund, you can visit the website runwithgrace.org. To find out more about what's going on in my world and check out stories of guests that have appeared on The Bravest Kind, you can visit my website at ryanshafer.com. That's R-Y-A-N-S-H-E-A-F-F-E-R.com. You can also find the show on Apple or Spotify podcasts. One final reminder to share, rate, and subscribe to The Bravest Kind with Ryan Schaefer. We'll be back at it next week with another fearless guest. Until then, continue to be brave in your own lives.